So we were just getting ready to film the preamble for this and Jamie was spinning a chewy gem round and Luna wanted to get it. Finished. I'm so tired. See the chewy gem? Chewy gems are for everyone. Now the cat will probably jump up in a minute and grab that. Yeah, so this week on the podcast we have got Emily from 21 and Century. I'm here too. <laughs> uh, really looking no, forward not to... on the podcast, I'm here. Really looking forward to this. Emily has a blog, 21 and Century. She's also on YouTube and yeah, she's got sensory processing disorder so this is going to be an amazing, amazing podcast to listen to. Don't forget also we have got an offer running for the I'm, whole of October. I'm broken she's inside. She's broken inside apparently. The cat still waiting to get that chewy gem yeah um offer running for the whole of october where you can get any cat or skull necklace and but get not an, any cat but not any luna. cat buy a cat or skull necklace and get another one for half price so that's the october offer so you really want to make use of that if you like the cats and the skulls um i'm going to go listen to this podcast and see if the cat gets the chewy gem we'll let you know later <laughs> We love a net and we love a jet We love to help and that's a fact So we have made it our mission to find stuff out From diagnosis and education Slimming out of your frustration Chat to folks who've been there too Collect it together and share it with you If you know someone we should speak to Send them our way and that's what we'll do We like to have our sensory natters You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here, back with another Sensory Matters show, and today I am chatting to Emily. Hi Emily, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Good. Uh, now, Emily has a wonderful blog called 21 and Sensory, which can be found at 21andsensory.wordpress.com. Is that right? Yep, that is right. Excellent. Have you got any other socials that people might want to know about? Are you on Facebook and... Um, I'm not on Facebook, but I am on Instagram and Twitter, and um, my username is just at 21 and Sensory. Perfect, wonderful. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been scrolling through your blogs, and they're really great, they're really interesting. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, so we'll definitely pick up on a few of those, because there's some good stuff in there. Um, so yeah, I just thought it would be good to just go with your story. Um, and one yes. thing from my point of view that I always find difficult is SPD and autism. Where does it start? Where does it stop? It's two separate conditions on paper, but quite often they come together. Mm -hmm. So are you one or the other or both? That is a, that's a great question. <laughs> so um, I was diagnosed with kind of or assessed as having sensory processing disorder when I was about eight years old. Okay. Um, so that's the kind of label that I'm used to. But um, recently I have thought about going for an autism um, assessment. So I'm currently doing that through my GP. So I think I am on the spectrum. Okay. And I think I'm kind of, I kind of want to know if I am sort of thing. Okay. So I, I know that I have sensory problems, but I'm also starting to realise that I think I do sit on the spectrum somewhere. So it is, like you say, a bit of both, but yeah. the sensory problems kind of were the main thing. Yeah. Do, do you think it ever is? Do It just interests me that most people seem to have both. Mm -hmm. um, yet quite often one people have one diagnosis or another. So is it that that's getting missed or that one is maybe more challenging and that's the important one to focus on? I think it's difficult because for me, I feel like it's been missed um, in terms of being assessed okay. um, with autism because 
I my parents knew like when I was a baby that I was struggling because I'd cry when I heard like someone sneeze or a loud noise and I didn't like being touched or picked up so they kind of when I went to primary school I was assessed by an educational psychologist and from there went on to an occupational therapist and I think at the time autism wasn't kind of as I don't know talked about I think and this kind of sensory problems were just starting to kind of my OT was really kind of in tune with those. So I think that's probably why I got that label first, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. And so what, what you're pursuing an autism diagnosis as well, and what do you hope that will do in terms of benefiting you? I think it will, it will kind of put my mind to rest a bit because I feel like I do sit on the spectrum, but I'm just not sure of it. And at, I don't know, at the age of 24, I feel like I'm, I am struggling still. Um, uh, even I thought it would get easier as I was an adult, but not really. Okay. Um, so also I've been kind of, um, I think it will kind of help in terms of kind of finding a community that I sit within, yeah. um, which is the whole kind of reason I started 21 Sensory was just to find other people out there with sensory problems who weren't children, like yes. nothing against children, obviously, but... No. There's, there's hardly anything about kind of sensory problems that aren't to do with children and babies, really, like on the internet. So that's why I kind of wanted to kind of start something. Yeah, that's that's so true. And so many people believe it's something you just grow out of. Yeah. You know, and and that you you don't get autistic adults, and you don't. It's just that, in theory, I guess it's not as obvious because coping strategies are developed, and you learn to kind of get along. A little easier in life um but so it's maybe not as obvious but yeah it's it's funny that people think it just vanishes and it doesn't yeah. it's it's just not even kind of i don't know it's more documented in america as well so i thought i'm um, kind of being in the uk it might be just quite nice to start something where kind of adults who might be googling things about sensory problems and autism might happen across my blog kind of thing. Yeah, and find it helpful, definitely. So if you were going to talk to someone who knew nothing, absolutely nothing about SPD or autism, how Mm -hmm. would you describe for you, because it's obviously very different for everybody, but for you, how would you describe which bits are your SPD and which bits are your autism? I think for me, the, the bits that are SPD are definitely the kind of I don't know it's more the the physical things like the five senses Mm -hmm. so on a daily basis it's me coming kind of into contact with you know my five senses and them being kind of constantly overwhelmed that I can't sort of filter the right information and process it in my brain so that's the kind of sensory side whereas I feel like the autism side is more the kind of social problems I have day to day like the kind of um kind of interacting with people um like eye contact um not i don't know i get very anxious when i have to kind of talk to someone even if it's just one-to-one sort of i get quite easily overwhelmed and like for example i work full time and i'm expected to go to meetings and things and meetings can be quite difficult kind of socially to keep a track of so it's kind of i don't know the more social kind of situations that I think the autism for me is really kind of 
prevalent, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, because one of the blogs I came across on your website was about employment. So what, mm-hmm. what is your day job? So I work as a graphic designer. Um, mm. Yes, um, full time. Um, so I work nine to five, five days a week. And I'm an in-house graphic designer. So I work for one company and I'm their only kind of designer. So it, for me, it works quite well because I can work kind of independently. Yes. And because I'm seen as the kind of expert in my field, it's yeah. quite nice. <laughs> yeah, so you haven't got to work in a team. You can just get on with your job and, yeah, you know, you get given a brief and away you go yeah. sort of thing. Exactly. And I've, I've kind of done both sides. I've kind of, after I graduated, because I did a um, degree in graphic design, after I graduated, I went into a creative agency and worked in a team on loads of different kind of yeah. companies and briefs. And I found that quite difficult. Yeah. So I definitely think in-house has worked really well for me because I can manage my own time and my own kind of deadlines and things and prioritise what I need to work on, like myself, which is quite nice. Yeah, and in your experience of those two jobs then, were both employers aware of your SPD? No, neither of them. them. No, neither of them are or... Were. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what's what stopped you raising it? I don't know. I mean, I think what stopped me raising it is understanding, I guess, um, and having to explain myself in that way. I do find quite difficult. Mm. Um, I have I have been open and said that I am dyslexic, um, so they're aware that I've kind of when I say I'm dyslexic, I say that I have problems processing things and that I have kind of problems with maths and things like that. So the processing side of things, I try and get across. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of sensory things, I just, I don't know, it's difficult because I, I work in both environments. I worked in an open office mm-hmm. and there's only so much you can do to make that yeah. environment better. And usually for me, it's headphones. <laughs> so. And, and do you use headphones? Yes, I use them a lot. Yeah. Um, I quite I find it difficult in an open office because the sound isn't kind of all the same level and it's not kind of a constant. So yeah. I tend to listen to like um, on YouTube. There's like ASMR new music you can listen to, and I listen to um, baths filling. Okay. So people record the bath filling. Wow. And yeah, it's quite a relaxing sound. So I just listen to a bath filling while I'm working because it's a constant sound in my ears. And I can have it as kind of loud or as quiet as I like, but it's it's quite a kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a soothing thing, I think. Yeah. So do the people around you know you're listening to a bath filling or do they think you're listening to some no. funky music? Yeah, I think they, listen, they think I'm listening to music. Sometimes I listen to kind of podcasts, but no, they have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they must think you're a total muso or something if you're... Yeah, a... they must think I'm really into my music, <laughs> but actually I'm just really into... Yeah. So, does anyone else in that office environment wear headphones as well? Um, they do. I mean, like if they're trying to concentrate or they've got a deadline, sort of thing. A lot of people do put their music in, so it's not seen as a like, oh, she's always listening to her music. Yeah. Uh, And I do kind of have, I have kind of parts of the day where I will like take them out if I'm kind of need to be talking to people and things. So yeah, it's just. It's a way for me to kind of regulate, 
myself a bit better and yes. just cope in that environment. So for me, it works. <laughs> yeah. And if, if, you, if you could just like magically tell your employers that you had SPD and, mm-hmm. and that horrible moment all gone and then everyone's all <laughs> fine about it, what could they do differently in your position to help? That's a really good question. I think to start things off, this is something I've written on my blog, is to just ask all the cyclists in the office to remove their fluorescent jackets from their hooks. Yeah, I saw that on your blog, They're yeah. distracting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think in terms of, I don't know, maybe just even having like a kind of meeting room that I could go to, because usually you have to book a meeting room in my office to be able to sit in it. Yeah. But have a, a like a side room, so if I did need to kind of type something up or like somewhere I could work in quiet sort of thing would be quite beneficial to me because yeah. always being in that office environment can be it's quite tiring for me. Yes. Um so just having like a quiet side room would work and I think like maybe other people would find that quite useful as well. Yeah. Just have like a quiet space sort of thing. Yeah. Um, definitely. For me that would work. Um maybe also I don't know, I find it difficult around like kind of I don't know, lunchtime when people bring their own food in and stuff. Or they like heat it up. Yeah. So like I like having an open office because it means I can speak to people if I'm having, you know, any like problems or I don't understand something. But Mm -hmm. there's kind of pros and cons. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that's what I kind of find difficult. But I think, yeah, having being able to use my headphones and removing any like distracting things and even turning the lights down a little bit would help. (laughs) Yeah. So do, do you think you'll ever be brave enough to do it? I don't know. I think, I think because I've said I'm dyslexic, it would f- probably follow on quite nicely and just kind of saying that actually, you know, these processing difficulties I have, or maybe when I go for my autism assessment, maybe then I'll feel kind of confident enough because it's kind of on paper then to just kind of be, I don't know, because at the moment I don't feel like I have much evidence to to bring if that makes sense yeah that does make sense yeah it's just I I know not everybody's the same but and I obviously we we work in a company where we're very autism and SPD aware um but I I would just hope that anyone that worked for us would come and tell us anything and we do our best to make it right and I would like to think most employers would be like that but maybe they're not I'm sure I'm sure they would I just it's difficult because I work in a large company there's 500 people yeah um, and I just, I just don't know how how it would be received. Yeah, I'm not sure. And yeah. I'm not sure, kind of accommodation-wise, what they'd be able to to do. I think. I, th- I think, um, I think you would be pleasantly surprised, especially with it being a large organisation, because they're, they'll, they're probably, they're, you're probably not the only one. See, it would be nice to know other people at work who yeah. also, you know, might not like. <laughs> the open office environment and things so maybe it will be it might be worth me doing it yeah and I think as as awareness is growing and it is growing which is a wonderful yeah. thing to see then more employers are going to going to want to and need to make provisions for people which is great I think um, what's so good is like at the National Autistic Society doing the kind of the like hours where it's kind of um more calm in like shopping yes. environments like that's really bringing it kind of totally and cinemas and swimming yeah. pools and yeah it's really good so that sort of changing the environment to help people cope in it so hopefully 
will continue to go that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's let's go back in time to when you're a child. When did you first feel you were different? I think it must be sort of year three, year four, when I realised. But I think my parents realised when I was a baby because I really struggled with the kind of five senses and interacting and I was always seen as kind of special like oh Emily's you know she's kind of setting her way sort of thing yeah um to I mean even in sort of reception when I was sort of five six I struggled to wear the school uniform because of the labels and things like that and I'd kind of cry every day before I went into classroom because my teacher in reception would shout and I found that difficult to deal with. Yeah. So it's it's these little things that I've built up, and yeah. that's when I was kind of, I went to an educational psychologist, and that's when that kind of journey sort of started, I think. Yeah, okay. And so the, the, the challenges that presented at school, how, how did they come out? Did you hold it all in, or did you let it out? I think... <laughs> I'm very good at bottling up how I feel and then coming home and letting it all out. (laughs) And especially kind of end of primary school, start of secondary school, that was very much me. I was kind of bottling up my feelings and masking how I felt and then coming home and, you know, getting upset, you know, talking to my mum sort of thing. So that's kind of how I coped. Yeah. Um, I did have um, an IEP, so um, like an educational plan um, for my processing problems. So teachers were aware that I was you know I needed that kind of extra time and that was really helpful for me because things like I don't know exams things I need that extra time to read the question and understand what they want me to write down sort of thing so yeah in terms of that the schools were quite understanding and then like Senko teams were kind of I was on their radar if that makes sense yeah that does make sense um, so you, you found when you were kind of got your diagnosis at eight, I guess those plans and strategies were able to be implemented in school and that was a big help. Yeah, um, um, it was kind of little things like um, um, my OT taught me like a brushing technique for my like arms and legs, which was kind of helping to kind of desensitize me and like regulate myself because I was constantly kind of bumping into things and finding kind of light touch really difficult. So it was learning those kind of little coping mechanisms, which like I still do today. I still do like brushing my arms and legs. Um, and it's those little coping mechanisms that kind of help me in my everyday life. Yeah. Do, do you tolerate pain? I'm not very good with pain. No. Okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I have quite a, yeah, low pain threshold. Is that what it is? Though, yeah, or? yeah. Low, low pain threshold. Low pain threshold. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I even just light touch to me is painful yeah uh, so I can it's quite difficult <laughs> wow so you you said that you know things you really towards the end of primary school you going into secondary school you were beginning to bottle things up a bit more and kind of exploding when you came home and chatting to your mum yeah. um what what was what made everything worse later on in primary school that that happened I think I think it was more at the start of secondary school because it was a much bigger class. Uh, there were kind of, I don't know, certain expectations put on you and I don't know, just, just, I don't, I, I just wanted to 
be normal and I was finding it extremely difficult to socialize with people and in lessons to keep up with what people were saying um and I, I think kind of looking back now like at university I used a dictaphone all the time to record my lectures and that would have been something that would have been so helpful in school for me like yeah. for revision and things like that it's like these little things that you pick up and think oh I could have really used that earlier on in my life yeah just help me cope yeah, so in the, in the, absolutely. In terms of relationships then, did you were you successful in forming friendships at school? I think I've always I've always had kind of friends from sort of different groups kind of within like within school. So mm-hmm. I tend to get along with everyone, you know, it doesn't matter if they're in the popular group or if they're mm-hmm you know, kind of nerdy or anything like that. Like, I get along with anyone sort of thing. It's just kind of those relationships when you take them out of that environment. So, like, if I was invited to a party or invited to town, that's when I would be like, oh, I'm busy kind of thing because I can manage that relationship within a kind of school environment because, you know, you just kind of go to your class every every day. But once you take that out of that kind of routine... Yeah. I find that quite difficult. So is that the same with work now? Like, you would, would you socialise with your work colleagues out of, out of work? I find it really difficult. Um, they tend to like to go to places like pubs, yeah. which is obviously better, better than clubs because those can be really noisy, but yeah. pubs can be quite difficult. Like The noise and the smells yeah. and, yeah. Just so much happens in those environments that I just can't... I can't almost hear what people are saying and alter that and sometimes I don't know if I'm full because there's so much going on in terms of processing in my head Mm -hmm. I don't don't know if I'm hungry or if I'm full I don't know how like I lose that feeling it's really weird so I I definitely get overwhelmed so in 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 terms of friends that you have a, a good meaningful relationship with you you, you clearly have learned a strategy of, of avoiding certain things so that yeah. you don't put yourself in that but in terms of having a, a good friend that you can do something with do you have that i i don't have any friends who know about my sensory problems if i'm honest wow. um, yeah i've never i've never felt like i could really talk to anyone like that apart from my mum yeah um which is hard um but sort of my uni friends knew that I was dyslexic again and that I kind of had some processing stuff going on so they knew that you know I oh and it takes a bit more time to do things so I think I think they kind of knew that but I imagine some of my friends think oh she probably sits on the spectrum um but it's not something I've ever discussed, if I'm honest. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. And it sounds like your mum's been an amazing support. Yeah, she really has. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I always think it's very, very, very tough on the parents. Um, yeah. Because they just, they just want the best for you. And, and yeah. seeing any, I know being a parent myself, seeing my child struggle at anything, it's just heart, heartbreaking. You just want the best for them. Yeah, exactly. And I think, just my mum saying you know you can talk to me whenever is really helpful and a thing that I do even like now is I'll write her letters which seems a bit mad but 
for me, I can write down everything that's going on in my brain and mm-hmm. just kind of give it to her and say, look, this is what's going on in my life at the moment. Yeah. And she can kind of look at it and go, okay, it's good to know. And then we kind of move on. So for me, that really helps. Yeah. A bit of a weird <laughs> thing to yeah. do helps me. Yeah, but I suppose as well also it, it, it gets it across in the right way in that if you just yeah. blurt something out verbally, yeah. it might not explain properly what you're feeling. Exactly. So that's a, a good strategy, I think. Yeah. Um, boyfriends, girlfriends? Oh, relationships, so yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah. um, I have had two boyfriends mm-hmm. in my entire life. Um, I kind of, when I was kind of, I think my first boyfriend was when I was 19 or 20. And if I'm honest, they both ended because of my sensory issues. Okay. Um, which is kind of difficult to say um, out loud, really. But yeah. it's true. It was. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so overwhelming, and I don't know. Even you know, doing my kind of brushing techniques and really trying to regulate myself, I was finding it Just difficult because you know, your other half kind of will touch you unexpectedly, even like hug you unexpectedly, and that sort of thing makes me jump. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's very hard not to offend someone if yeah. they want to hug you if you jump sort of thing. So, yeah, it just got – I'm just – I think I just need to find someone who's understanding. Yeah, <laughs> totally. what me and my mum think anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe someone else who also has SPD. Yeah, that would be really helpful because they'd – I don't know. There's only so much you can explain without yeah. having it. <laughs> you need to, yeah, I need to find someone. We should set up an spdlikematch.com type thing. I do think, like, in terms of disability dating, there's not a lot out there. So, yeah. and I'd love to kind of, even just to find friends who are kind of, you know, having the same kind of problems and yeah. issues with me. So. Totally. Are you, are you in our, oh no, you're not on Facebook. Oh. No, I'm not. Okay. Conscious decision? I don't know actually. I think I just I've just kind of always been on Instagram and Twitter, so I just yeah. thought that. Well, would you're be... you're you're young, aren't you? <laughs> I'm, I'm like forty three, so Facebook's like my thing, and I'm still getting to grips with Instagram. Oh. But I think I think your generation all start on Instagram, don't they? Yeah, it just kind of feels that was a natural kind of progression. But maybe I will kind of go on Facebook because I know like Chewy Gem have a lot of kind of. Yeah, but we have we have a brilliant private group. Um, it's got it's now up to fifteen hundred people in it. Oh wow! And yeah, and it's a mix of parents, carers, young adults, adults, okay. all with you know a range of things going on, and and it's just such a lovely community because they all just say this has happened today, and a and then everyone just is so supportive. It's oh, that's brilliant. fine. Yeah, so definitely look that up. Okay. It sounds like everyone's very accepting. Oh, very much so. <laughs> yeah. So if 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 someone has an awareness of SPD and and they're kind of like like I think I would be able to spot based on on my knowledge and experience now if I sat in an office with you, I think I would know that you either had autism or SPD. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um but most people wouldn't. But yeah, I I think I probably could spot that. Mm-hmm. So but if you're not telling me, then I'm not probably comfortable enough to come up and possibly offend you because you might not have SPD <laughs> or autism and say, oi, 
I think you've got it. So if, if you suspect it of somebody, then what is the best thing that that somebody could do to help that person when they're around them to make mm. life easier for them? That's a really good question. I think just giving them the time and space to to talk and things and, you know, don't don't expect kind of great eye contact. I know it's quite cliche to think, oh, like autistic people can't give eye contact, but it's, for me, it's knowing when, like timing-wise, when to look at someone, when to look away when you're talking, when to look back, that sort of thing. It's yeah. like social cues, you know, if, if you know, the arms are folded and things like that, it's, it's not personal, it's yeah. how I'm coping kind of thing. So I yes. think giving, yeah, the t- giving people the time to kind of reply to you and, you know, saying, would it be easier to talk somewhere more quieter or just giving, just giving them options, you know, just, yeah. just kind of saying, you know, we can go to a different sort of space to talk or, you know, yes. feel free to come and talk to me sort of thing. Just that offer is quite nice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And in terms of you said that um, your sensory things are basically your senses, obviously, hence mm-hmm. senses and sensory. So if we were going to, obviously noise is one, we've discussed that, and you, you handle that at work by wearing noise-cancelling headphones. Yeah. Do you also employ that strategy when you're kind of like somewhere else, like the supermarket or...? Um, I To be honest, if I'm in something like a supermarket or a restaurant, I tend to go... Like, I've used earplugs in a restaurant before just okay. because I can, I, I feel like I still need to hear people. Yeah. Um, but I just need to filter it a little bit and kind of cancel out some of the background, like, noise. Like, yeah. in a restaurant when there's people talking and music, it's a lot of layers to get through to get to yes. the conversation in front of me. So, yeah, it tends to be more kind of earplugs when I'm expected to be you know, kind of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, I guess, it, it's the little foamy ones, is it? Those sorts yeah, of Yeah, just the, like, in-ear ones, yeah. Yeah, and and they would be very subtle and discreet as well, I suppose. Yeah, and there's also sort of ones you can get online where you can kind of change the, um, like, tips, and yeah. they would kind of, like, filter out different noise levels and things. Uh, so I've been looking at those recently and just kind of, kind of researching them. Yeah. Any, any other strategies for noise for people, apart from obviously avoiding it, but that's not always possible? Um, that's a good question. I think with somewhere like a restaurant, I will always kind of, when I get there, work out where the loos are so that I can, if I need to, just go be in a quiet space for a little bit yeah. and then come back so yeah. that I can just kind of almost like reset a little bit. Um I tend to, yeah, use loos a lot to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Even at work, I kind of will just go to the loo just to get out of the environment and to just kind of stop and breathe and then kind of know that I can go back into that environment again. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess, do you do things like check out a restaurant, not in advance, but when you walk in, do you kind of clock, that's near the kitchen, there might be banging plates, that's near the speakers yeah. and the music? And kind of assess which might be the quietest table. Exactly. Like I like to go for corner ones so that I can see the whole room and just kind of, yeah. So I'm not in the middle of the room or like you say, like near a kitchen or things like that. It's yeah. it's kind of difficult. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That well, that's useful. So noise. Uh, what else? Right. Sight. So we've mentioned we've touched the 
on the bright fluorescent jackets? Yeah. What other kind of visual sensory challenges do you have? I think kind of lighting in general can be quite difficult yeah. and distracting. Um, I use, um, like on my computer at work, I have like this um, app where you can kind of filter the mm-hmm. screen so you can change the color of it. So I tend to go for a kind of like orangey screen um, if I'm not designing, because obviously if I'm designing, yeah. I need the screen to be the right color. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I'm writing or something and I'm looking at a screen for a long time because I wear glasses as well. It's okay. kind of less strain on the eyes. So I think it's a bit better for me anyway. Yeah. 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 So I tend to use that, which is quite helpful. And I know people who use like color overlays to like read with as well. Yeah. I used to have one at school, like a purple overlay, which helped me with reading. So yeah. it's quite good. Okay. Um, one that I think must be really difficult to, to have a strategy for is, is smell. Yes. There's just, there's so many perfumes and deodorants in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it can really distract me. Like if I'm talking to someone and, you know, they might just have perfume on and it, you know, it's not, horrible smell because they're wearing it but to me it's so distracting it puts me off completely like it will distract me as to what I'm talking about which is mad because it's a smell but how my brain works for some reason so it can be quite difficult with with that sort of thing but I I kind of I tried to push through it because I know you know I'm only going to be talking to this person for this amount of time or you know I can kind of go away and come back sort of thing yeah is is there anything that you can do like can you overpower your own smell to block out another smell or does it not work like that I don't know I mean sometimes I'll kind of it's difficult sometimes I'll use like my own kind of perfume because it will smell like me and it will smell like normal like to kind of get back to how I was or something or like even just if I distract myself by like sucking a mint or something like the smell from that can kind of reset it sort of thing yeah yeah that's probably a good strategy having mints to have (laughs) yeah um because I just thought like it's probably easier in the winter you could almost have a scarf that is just caked in something that is like (laughs) and just sniff it as need be to block out the other smell yeah um so that's sight sound smell touch Yes, um, it's a difficult one for me. It's one of the main reasons why relationships are difficult, whether it's friends or um, like boyfriends. Um, I don't know. I just I'd love to be able to kind of be able to deal with light touch mm-hmm. for me is difficult, and that's what I find difficult about relationships is that it's there's no routine of touch and it's or it's very relationships is they're very spontaneous yeah which doesn't doesn't work with me I love routine I love to know what's coming and if I don't know that someone's going to hug me or you know they want to hold my hand or something like that yeah. it's I need that social cue in terms of autism but I need that kind of to be told to me like oh like can I hold your hand kind of thing, which yeah. you wouldn't, you know, in a relationship, you just hold each other's hand. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, I just need that, that kind of hint it's coming. Yeah. I think boys find very difficult because they're like, why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for you, you say light touch, is light touch for you worse than like a firm touch? 
yeah I definitely prefer like I can deal with like a firm hug like a kind of bear hug sort of yeah. thing I like sleep with a weighted blanket every night okay just because I find deep pressure is really good for me and it is like regulating and yeah. desensitizing but yeah light touch for some reason is very painful and if like if someone touched me on one arm I kind of want them to touch me on the other so it's kind of even yeah. like it just I don't know it, it really overwhelms me for some reason and when you say that you you brush your arms and your legs is mm-hmm. that a firm brush then it's it's kind of like a therapy brush it's kind of quite bristly but you can what I've been doing is you kind of build you sort of build kind of down from a really firm like you push really hard on the brush to mm. kind of slowly kind of lighter kind of holding of the brush so that you're not applying as much kind of pressure and you're starting to desensitize yeah so I'm, I'm still kind of working on that and I, I kind of always been brushing <laughs> yeah so you mentioned clothes when you were at school is that still a challenge for you now yes very much so I mean the good thing is that um where I work I can wear what I want which is amazing so I can wear I mean I can wear what I'm comfortable in which is tends to be converse's jeans and a big jumper yeah um which is ideal for me but um even like clothes are difficult for me because I tend to prefer to buy charity shop ones um Mm -hmm. because they are already worn in and I feel better about wearing stuff that isn't new. I've got clothes in my cupboard that are brand new and I just can't wear and shoes that I have on my rack that are brand new that I just can't wear because they're too new, if that makes sense. It's been a little bit special in that way. My family just know I am. (laughs) (laughs) I try to get um, the shoes out of the box and try and get more familiar with them. Like it's a real process for me, like new clothes. And I never understand when people like kind of buy things online and wear them straight away. I find that really difficult. So, and also kind of I have to cut the tags out all yeah. that stuff as well. So, yeah, it's much more of a process for me. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and taste. Do you have do you have challenges with eating? Um, I think I do. Um, definitely when I was younger, I I like very bland tasting things, and I don't like spicy or hot. Or anything like that I like kind of I always say to my mom if I could eat cereal for the rest of my life I would because I it's that kind of I like the kind of crunch the feedback but also the taste because it's not like something like I don't know Cheerios or Rice Krispies they're quite bland yeah it's something that I enjoy I look forward to breakfast because I know what it's going to be yeah Um, so yeah, I, I like to stick with familiar, boring food, <laughs> um, which can be difficult in restaurants, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it can. Okay, that's fab. Um, so the other thing that I wanted to touch on was you talk in one of your blogs about the different therapies that you went through. Yeah. So you, tried, you, you had CAMS, you tried CBT, and you found occupational therapy to be the best for you. Yes. So what? Let, let's start with, which one did you do first? That's a very good question. I imagine it was some sort of NHS therapy, so probably CAMS was where I started off. Okay. Um, Can you remember much about that and, and why it did, didn't agree with you, why you don't think it worked for you? I think I had it in kind of secondary school um, for quite, might have been a few, a few years actually. Um, but I just remember 
it was very much bringing all my feelings and my struggles to the surface and I'd get quite upset during each session because I felt like I was bringing things back up instead of kind of moving on mm-hmm. from them, I yeah. guess and it just for me it was quite overwhelming to talk about my struggles and w- with someone new as well that wasn't my mum yeah uh, so I found it quite difficult but also in a sense that they didn't the therapist didn't particularly understand the kind of sensory side of things and it's really difficult to find a kind of not autism friendly but a kind of someone who just has that kind of background yeah has the knowledge and kind of that that's what I found good about occupational therapy was because they are tuned into that sort of thing yes like even as an adult I've been I've kind of paid for private sessions um like when I've been able to because it's what I find helpful great and that's that's where you've got the brushing technique from yeah so a lot of what the occupational therapists do is about trying to desensitize your senses a fair bit Um, so that it makes everyday coping of the overwhelming stuff a bit easier. Is that the theory? That is the theory, yeah. And kind of when I first went to an occupational therapist as a child, I couldn't. I was struggling to brush my teeth and brush my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, I still struggle to brush my teeth with like an electric toothbrush, but I can brush my hair absolutely fine. Great. Um, so it's about t- like totally desensitizing your your body to be able to understand and kind of cope with these brushes and the kind of normal things you're expected to do um, like hygiene wise and things which can be quite difficult for someone with sensory problems yeah yeah no, that's that makes a lot of sense and um, so again so CBT yeah. didn't do it for you because why not <sighs> to me again it was it was obviously bringing up stuff and why kind of like relationships and why they hadn't worked and things like that and kind of going through worksheets and things like that, it felt quite kind of almost like I was back in education a bit. Um, So I've had kind of both CBT on NHS and privately, and I've kind of both found that I just, although my doctor would like me to carry on with it, I find it difficult. (laughs) Um, And that's why I'm kind of, I'm always on the kind of hunt for kind of a therapist who can do it all (laughs) yeah no that would be good yeah so it sounds to me from from the other therapies that you've tried it's that you don't feel a need to unpick the whys and the what's beans you just want to be able to function and find ways to help you cope in life exactly like I know I know I'm sensory I know I might be on the spectrum I there's nothing I can you know nothing's going to change that but something could make it better but finding someone to help me make it better is the difficult thing (laughs) yeah because one of the first things you said right at the beginning was that you know you 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 struggled as a child and you're still struggling as an adult and but I think you're doing amazingly well because you've you've been to uni (laughs) you've got a graphic design degree you've got a great job with what sounds like a fab company um you're chatting to me you know it's it's yeah. it's all good so what what are your adult struggles I think my I thought it would get easier after kind of education yeah <laughs> and I think it's the whole kind of adulting thing of kind of things like learning to drive like yeah. that's difficult for someone for you know that's difficult anyway but yes. for someone like me who's dyslexic doesn't know their left and right and 
just struggles to process like someone saying you know third exit at the roundabout yeah it's stuff like that like it's the growing up and the kind of being more responsible for yourself when actually I find it hard to care for myself (laughs) so I think kind of in that respect I know that I know that I don't want children right and I know I'm only 24 but I know that I struggle to kind of manage myself and that really I don't think it's something that I'll be able to achieve in life um it doesn't I mean I love I love children but I just don't see see myself being able to cope very well yeah and even just the relationship bit is hard so I just know that and I'm I'm fine with that because it it works for me yeah it's entirely your choice yeah, and I know that actually I'd, I'd like a little dog instead. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of life choices. A lot of people my age are, you know, getting married, starting yeah. families, like 24, kind of 25. And I do find it difficult because, especially with social media, it's all I'm seeing. Yeah. And it's very much the norm. But for me, I'm, I'm, I know, like, normal is quite a difficult word, but I know I'm not particularly yes. normal and that, you know, it works for me to kind of do it my way. Yeah. It's, that's, again, why I started the whole 21 and Sensory thing, was to find other people and be like, you know, there's other people out there, we're managing, we're doing things differently, but it works for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's okay not to follow the the predicted, yeah. set-out path that everyone thinks they have to follow. You can make your own choice based on your needs and desires, definitely. I wish that was more of a kind of... Thing in society because it feels very much a kind of A to B, you, you know, education, work, family, yes. you know, that sort of thing. And it doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't. No, it doesn't work for everyone. But everyone just, everyone is so preconditioned to, it's yeah. the sort of thing that when, you, when you're when you 35, you're, have you not got children? Are you not married? You know, as, yeah. if, as if that makes it wrong. Exactly. Um, when actually, if it works for you, why should you have to justify yourself to people? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do get that quite a bit. Like, oh, you're single at the moment. Like, yeah, because at the moment it works for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's difficult to justify. <laughs> yeah, but you shouldn't have to. That's the yeah, frustration. Yeah, that. Yeah. And I think I think it's just lack of thought from people. You know. Yeah. I think people are just nosy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so, do, do you do you still live with your mum? Yeah, I still live at home with my family. Um, I have a, a younger sister and a younger brother. So, um, yeah, um, there's five of us, but my sister goes to uni. Um, so when I studied at uni, I studied at a local um, university. So I just drove 20 minutes there and back. So I never, I've never left home. Okay. Um, for me, I think I'd find the change in environment quite difficult. And it would be something, it's something I'm trying to work towards is eventually moving out. Yeah. But at the moment, I think I'd find it too difficult. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm, I'm still living at home, but also it saved me so much money <laughs> being yeah. a student at home. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if you do eventually decide to move out, then you should totally video log it or blog it or, you know, yeah. um, because I think that's, that's something that lots of people in your position will find difficult and mm. you'll be able to kind of, um, you know, write down your strategies and how you've managed and how you plan it so yeah that would be really interesting when you do it come back and we'll chat again because I think that would be fascinating (laughs) to talk about 
Um, yeah, okay. So I, I guess my last thing is, if, if you had a message to the world that you wish the world knew that you wanted to get out, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that kind of what we've touched upon before is that there are autistic adults that are sensory processing, you know, people with sensory issues out there who are adults, mm-hmm. who are teenagers, who are kind of middle-aged, like it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's less documented, but it's still there. Yes. And it's important to, you know, not just to, you know, do things for children. Obviously, yeah, it's great that children are getting that support with autism and things like that, but it doesn't mean that, you know, these adults don't exist. Yeah. And I think like what you're doing you're building that community online to try and kind of combat that stigma that it's just children yeah. and also for parents to realize that it you know it's not something your child's going to grow out of but it's something that they'll probably kind of flourish with yeah. eventually and it's kind of nurturing that in a way so i think it's it's important for parents as well yeah absolutely yeah Brilliant. Well, Emily, it's been a real pleasure. Really, really, really insightful. I very much enjoyed talking to you. Um, So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. So 21andSelfSensory.wordpress.com. Go have a nosy. (laughs) So yeah, Luna got got the chewy gem. Um, So that was... Emily from 21 and Sensory. Luna. We hope you enjoyed that podcast. I thought that was really good. So Emily's a graphic designer. Um, wow. Which is amazing. I can't believe she works full-time, a full-time job with all those sensory um, sensory problems. And you know when she said about one of the things she wishes her colleagues would do is to remove the fluorescent yellow jackets? And that just made me think of how much fluorescent and yellow and things like, what do you say? Um, what do you call it when something's too bright? painful it's not that i'll think of it later but yeah and i just thought of all the challenges with sensory (laughs) processing disorder uh in a job when you haven't even told your employer about your sensory processing disorder so she's doing amazing (laughs) right and we're playing with the cat still but yeah um she keeps she keeps looking but she's too far away to see so hopefully um you'll have all enjoyed that um 21 and century emily Are you bringing her back in? And Emily, I I think will possibly go for an autism diagnosis as well, which would make complete sense. So, yeah, don't forget the October offer, and we will see you again soon. You know what?